Are you ready to hustle? Welcome to The Hustle with Justin Harrison, the ultimate podcast for money, motivation, and inspiration. In this season of The Hustle, we are focusing in on people's personal finance questions. And today I have with me Natasha, who has got some very important personal finance questions. Natasha, what is your first question? Hi, Justin. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. The first question I have is, what is the smartest way um, to clear my credit card debt? I'm quite a lot over. Is there a way that I could maybe use my bond in order to clear my credit card debt? So I think there's a couple of things we need to talk about. And obviously, one of those is clearing the debt. But the real question is, how did you land up in this amount of debt to begin with? So I went on maternity leave last year. And unfortunately, my company doesn't pay, which they don't have to. And I'm still waiting for UIF. And um, I had to go into debt in order to pay off what I needed to. Okay. And so you have mentioned that you do have a bond. What was the reasoning between using the money in your bond versus using the money in your credit card? Um, I think at that time, I didn't feel it was a good idea to take money out of my bond to use towards that. Um, Also, we've only been in this house for about two years. So I didn't feel there was enough, you know, equity for me to use in terms of of that. And do you currently have enough equity to cover the 100K that's outstanding on your credit cards? So last time I checked was probably about a month or so ago. And I think I had probably half of that. Okay. So here's the thing, right? With any unsecured loan, uh, unsecured lending like a credit card, your interest rates are going to be monumentally high in comparison to secured lending such as a home loan. So what you want to make sure is that you're always using the cheapest forms of debt whenever you do anything. So this is a lesson on a mistake you've already made, but it's also a lesson on how to resolve this problem. You want to basically consolidate your debt. What you want to do is you want to find the cheapest form of debt out there, and that is probably going to be your home loan. And you want to use that to settle your credit card debts. I would even go as far as approaching the bank to slightly extend uh, your home loan and to try and access more equity if you can. That might not be possible since you've been in the home for only a short period of time. But if there is equity, try and get as much of it as possible. Put that towards the credit card because here's the thing. You're going to be paying infinitely more interest. And, you know, as Albert Einstein once said about compound interest, that's the eighth wonder of the world. Those who understand it earn it. Those who don't pay it. And this is exactly what is happening with your credit card debt. And it becomes harder and harder to get out of because the interest just builds on the interest over time. And it seems that you're making payments towards it and you're just actually never moving back on the capital amount. So you have to clear that capital amount by any means necessary. That means going and finding cheaper forms of finance. Go and sell something if you have to. Get rid of something in the house that you don't need. But this is a debt you need to tackle aggressively. And my biggest piece of advice around is as soon as you pay that balance off, you know what you need to do. Cuts up those credit cards and get rid of those accounts. Because the bottom line is I refer to credit cards as instruments of mass financial destruction because the average consumer uses it because it is so easy to access. And as soon as you pay it off, believe me, you'll be back there using the credit card in the first tough times you have. And the best way to think about money is a very simple way. If you have it, you have it. If you don't have it, you don't have it. And the problem with credit cards is we're spending money we don't have against the potential of future earnings. 
And that's where you get yourself into trouble. Compound that with a high interest rate, and it's a recipe for disaster. You've got to get rid of the credit card debt. You've got to cut up the credit cards, and you've got to commit to only coming back to a credit card once you have significant net worth, once you're wealthy. Because the thing is, wealthy people do not use credit cards for the credits. They use credit cards because they get benefits. They get points. There's Mm. advantages to using it. But the average consumer is using it for the debt portion. And so it is just a recipe for absolute disaster. I agree 100%. And if I may say, I was quite, um, you know, good in dealing with my credit card for a very long time since I've had it. And it's just unfortunate that when I went on maternity leave, I had to use it. And I feel like I need to get back because I was using my credit card for the benefits. Mm. So now I'm just stuck in that right at the moment. The problem with credit cards are very easy to access and it's easy to roll debt from one month to the next. It's easy just to pay the minimum balance and people don't understand the long-term impact. If you have to do a long-term impact assessment on a hundred grand outstanding compounding at the current interest rates over the next couple of years, you'll be horrified. It is a major cost factor to your overall net worth. So, you know, like I say, I don't think that uh, the average consumer should have a credit card, even if you were very diligent in the past. The fact of the matter is you reach to it very easily when when you were going through tough times. And that proves that there is a chink in your armor when it comes to personal finance, something that you personally have to face up to. Yes, I agree. Okay, so what's your next question? All right. So RA and pension fund, is there a way that I could (laughs) draw from it and put that money somewhere else to make it work for me? So if uh, you don't mind me asking, how old are you and how long have you been contributing to your RA for? Um, I'm 36 and um, RA, I've been contributing, I think, for about eight years. And then pension funds since I've been with the company for about 11 years, but it's minimal. So here's the thing about uh, RAs and pension funds. Any early withdrawal is going to cost you so much money, it actually isn't worth it. So any money that you take out of there is going to cost you so much money, it's going to be ridiculous. But I will offer you an alternative. I would drastically reduce my contributions where possible. So for the RA, for example, you are able to control that. With the pension fund or the provident fund, that's a totally different story. That's that's something that you have no control over. But the, the RA portion, I would recommend reducing that. And I'll tell you why. The average financial advisor or broker is going to tell you something completely different because they're driven by commissions. But if you understand that your debt is costing you more, right now and going into debt is costing you more right now than you're making as a return on your retirement. So I would say over the next five years, you need to hunker down and concentrate on creating your own retirement plan, your own retirement fund. And I'm not big on using RAs and pension funds. And there's a number of reasons why, which which I'll get to in a second. But really in terms of accessing the capital that you've already contributed, you're going to take such a knock. It just is not financially worth it. And so you're better off biting the bullet, reducing your contributions, and still having the advantage of the money that you put in there already, compounding until there's a legal age where you can basically touch it and withdraw it. Now, the reason why I'm not big on retirement annuities and pension funds, first of all, if you look at the pension funds, these are being prescribed by government. It's been used as an instrument for leverage 
for our country's debt against other countries. So that's very troubling. Secondly, in terms of your retirement annuity, a lot of people don't actually know that when your retirement annuity pays out at retirement age, you don't have access to all the funds. You get access to a portion of it. The rest of it you have to basically put into either life annuity or living annuity. And worse than this is if you ever decide to leave the country, your capital doesn't follow you. What happens is your income will follow you, but it will follow you in rand. So that's not the greatest situation to have. So the reason why I encourage people to self-invest for their retirement funds, if they have the discipline not to touch capital, which is something you have to develop, is that you will be able to repatriate funds with you wherever you go in the world. It becomes your own investment. And then the third and final part of the equation is, of course, fees. Just 1% in fees will cost you one-third of the entire basic net amount after 20 years. And that is a horrific figure. And I mean, it's that 1% plus the tax that we still... Exactly. So this is why I highly encourage people to minimize, if they have the discipline, their contributions to pension funds and retirement annuities. It's totally against what the mainstream financial system will advise. Having said that, if you do not have the financial discipline, then you're better off putting your money with a broker and having something and putting something in a pension fund or retirement annuity than having nothing. But if you are committed to financial freedom, if you're committed to the journey of managing your own finances and you can get emotional control over never having to go and access capital, then I would highly suggest going the self-investment routes and creating your own pension fund. How would you suggest then opening your own pension fund or is it is it just saving it into a bank account with a high interest rate? What's your suggestion? So saving money in the bank is probably the worst idea ever because even if you are in at money market rates, you're still way below the true inflation. I like to refer to it as Woolworths inflation. If you go down to Woolies uh, this year, things are definitely not 3.5% or 5.6%, whatever government quotes at the current time. Mm. Uh, more expensive, it's closer to 10 to 15%. And so your money has to beat inflation. So if you're earning 8%, you're technically losing, you're losing purchasing power. So what I would suggest is in terms of creating your own fund, first of all, get control of your finances. You've got to understand that earned income is the vehicle to invest. You've got to use earned income very wisely, reduce your expensive, have enough disposable income to invest in the first place. And then I would tell you to do exactly what the financial companies are doing, exactly what the brokers are doing, exactly what the industry is doing. They're going to take your money and they're going to invest it in the top 40 stocks on the JSC, the Satrix top 40, uh, and they're going to charge a handsome commission for it. Whether that makes money or not, they're going to take their percentage, right? And on top of that, I would suggest going into ETFs and index funds, uh, like, for example, the S&P 500, which tracks the top 500 companies on the U.S. stock market. I would also consider investing a portion of my portfolio into real estate investment trusts uh, rather than physically investing in, in property because I think being a landlord in this day and age just doesn't make sense as an individual. And then I would also say that you have to keep a portion of your cash available for liquidity. And so, you know, let's say, for example, you've got 10,000 Rand a month to invest and create this retirement fund with. I would hold 20% back of that in pure savings just for those things that creep up all the time because otherwise what will happen is you'll put money into investments and the moment the poo hits the fan, you're going to go to those investments and draw down on them. So you want to avoid drawing down. So you always want to make sure you have rainy day money, you have liquidity in your portfolio and you try and 
tie up at least 80% of what you're saving into stuff that you can't touch and stuff that mm -hmm. you're not going to access that you're going to allow to compound over time. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, thank you, Justin. Um, and then my third question. Um, so I've now learned the hard way that buying a house <laughs> yeah, is not an asset. Um, so how can I turn it into an asset? Or look, this is my primary residence. This is where my family stays. What can I do in order to turn it into an asset somehow? Great question. So not enough people ask this question, by the way. So most people have been sold this dream of buying a house and owning a house. Let me just be very clear. Houses are instruments to sell you money by the banks. And uh, the financial industry is not going to like it. They don't want me saying this. And it's highly controversial. But here's the bottom line. In investing terms, as you now understand, an asset returns cash flow. An asset is not purely about something that has value and holds value. It's an asset has to actually produce something meaningful and tangible in return. So now you're stuck in a situation where you've bought into the dream, you've got the white picket fence, and you've got this house. What do you do? So my advice to people is always to think out of the box. Obviously, the first thing is, depending on your situation at home, if you can have a granny flat or you have a granny flat that you can rent out, that now starts contributing to the net outflow of cash because this is what this primary residence is. It's a net outflow of cash. So how do you how do you at least just minimize that or potentially turn it into a cash flow positive where the cash in is higher than the cash out? And this is where you've got to start becoming very entrepreneurial and very creative. You could rent out rooms, which probably wouldn't be the greatest idea for you since you have a young family. But I tell young people all the time, go buy a house. By all means, buy that primary residence, but buy a four-bedroom house and rent three bedrooms out while you're still young. That way, somebody else is paying for your asset. In your specific instance, you need to start thinking about tax deductions as a self-employed person. You need to start thinking about the potential to do some kind of secondary income from that business. So it might be from that residence. So it could be something as stupid as growing microgreens in the garage. <laughs> right? It may be something as, as crazy as that, but you've got to start applying your entrepreneurial mind and looking around and saying, what space do I have available and how can I turn into something? So I'm going to give you a great example of how I turned my primary residence into a net positive. I've got Bitcoin mining rigs set up in my house, which covers most of the cost factor, right? It takes up very little space. I'm not investing in Bitcoin. I'm not investing in crypto, but what I am doing is I'm mining it. I'm getting paid for having my computers on the network and actually mining crypto, right? Another thing that you could do, depending on whether you might or might not have solar, like in my instance, I've got a solar system that more than adequately provides for my home. I rent off a portion of my solar panels to my next door neighbor. And so instead of us all buying solar panels, I've rented off a portion. So you need to become really creative about how do you generate income? And there are so many opportunities if you just focus in on it. I've got a personal family friend, for example, who understands that water is a big problem in, the, in, in homes at the moment. So what they've done is they've set up a water filtration plant in their garage and they're selling water to the neighborhood, right? So there's a lot of creative things that you can do with the space that you have to think about how do I turn it into money. And it, it requires entrepreneurial out-of-the-box thinking. Right. I've, I've actually got some things in rushing in my head right now. So that's 
Never thought about it that way. Thank you. <laughs> Absolute pleasure. If you found value from this episode of the Hustle Podcast, please be sure to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcasting app. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe and follow button so that you never miss any of the content that we're releasing. And remember, hustle makes muscle. Stay motivated by The Hustle. Talkers talk, but hustlers hustle. Find more episodes at ecr.co.za or your favorite podcast app.